Good evening, I'm Ted Koppel. Surely everyone knows by now that Buckwheat is dead. But for those of you who have not seen the videotape of Buckwheat being shot, let's take a look. He's stimulating, he's exhausting, he's fun. Sometimes I could kill him, but not too often. The topic tonight is the hippies, an understanding of whom we must, I guess, acquire or die painfully. Uh, we certainly should make considerable progress in the next hour because we have with us a professional student of the hippies, as also someone who is said to have started the whole beat generation business, and finally a hippie type who can correct us ever so gently, please, uh, if we are wrong. Ty Whip, Heavy Longmire, Gustav Mateblanc. It's GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250 megacycles per second. This is GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250 megacycles per second. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Come on then, Plato, enlighten me. <laughs> I started recording after the dip part, so it's just you never want to give that well, up. And yeah, let's let's cut all that. Let's start now. No, it's going in and keeping it in. Right. Well, welcome back to Can You Hear Me, the podcast where three guys are going to talk about nothing but William F. Buckley Jr. for the next two hours. Yes. Buckle up. All right. So or Buckley up. <laughs> oh man. You are the witty... Pick up the mic you just dropped. That is... <laughs> William F. Buckley Jr. would be proud of you. I'm going to do nothing but make William F. Buckley eye movements for this whole We ought hour. to be doing a live video cast of this. <laughs> well, before we get too far along into this wonky love fest that we're about to embark upon, I am Gustav Monteblanc. I am Ty Webb. And I am the one and only original... Heavy Longmire. He adds an adjective every time. Now. It's gonna get, it's gonna be like a 15 minute intro for himself, like an Apollo Creed intro, right? And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Real Gustav. I am Ty Web 3000. I'm at Longmire Heavy. Look at, Look him. at him. He's on the jump. Yeah, he's tonight. all cognizant of it. And you can email us at CanYouHearMePod at gmail dot com and find us. Various places on the internet or websites, canyouhearmepod.com, and uh, all our old episodes are there as long as they last before we yank them down, so get them while you can. All right, so William F. Buckley Jr. Yes. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and give us your William <laughs> no, F. Buckley no, no, Jr. No. I, don't, I don't even think I have it anymore. It's he, been 20 years. You just throw it in at the right time. Right time. Well, he, he was not a... He was not discussed. That name was not discussed positively in the Longmire household. <laughs> I no, can't let, imagine. Before, before we get into that. Public side, enemy number one. Let's, let's kind of set up who this man was. To many, he was the paragon of conservatism and conservative, uh, conservative thinking in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, up into the 90s, as he started to taper off in the 2000s as he grew older. He was a writer and uh, the editor and publisher of the National Review and the host 
or he wrote multiple books, and he was the host of Firing Line for I think like 30 years. And that was a show. The format changed a couple of different times over the years, but basically it was Buckley having a conversation, sometimes a debate with guests of both who he, whom he agreed with and whom he was polar opposites of. It was a good mix of intelligentsia and pop culture. Yes. And he had a wit about him that was very dry and sharp. But he was also, especially in his younger years, I would consider playful. Yeah. Definitely. But as Longmire alluded to, if you were on the left end of the spectrum, he was not your favorite person. No. He was unabashedly conservative. Absolutely. Well, and it was, and I found it interesting in one of the, and something popped up. Like the modern conservative, very thoughtful. Yeah. The, uh, something popped up this week that got us on William F. Buckley talk. Well, uh, we were making John uh, McLaughlin from McLaughlin Group jokes amongst me and Ty, and then that naturally segued into our love of Buckley. So that got the three of us YouTubing old firing line episodes and, and the like. And and I don't guess I'd really. I mean, it makes perfect sense. In and maybe it's in the documentary that I watched that you talked about. Uh, Best you, of enemies. Yes. Best of enemies, which uh, is available currently on Netflix. Yes. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Yeah, that's great. And it really talked about how Reagan pretty much got his. I mean, I won't say got his ideas from Buckley, but that Buckley was a big influence to him. Buckley was the influence on conservatism in general to the time. So. To set the the groundwork, he was the standard bearer. True. So yeah. you know we had a Eisenhower was fairly conservative, but pretty middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And then we get the Kennedys come in, and by today's standards, they would be conservatives. But yeah. right. by the time they were liberal, of course, Kennedy goes down, and Johnson takes over and starts to implement the Great Society, and that flew in the face of a lot of conservative principles at the time. And the main opponent to Johnson was Barry Goldwater, who from now that he's also a pillar of conservative modern conservatism and wrote extensively about that. Who Hillary Clinton supported. Yes. Now Goldwater was a little I won't say his conservat his writings were more simplistic, but they weren't quite as erudite as Buckley's were because Buckley was a wordsmith. Yes. And Buckley was not just, I mean, Goldwater was very pragmatic based. True. Where Buckley, why, I mean, he was pragmatic as well, but he was also very philosophical. Yes. Right, he was in a lot of theory. He was an intellectual. He was intellectual and he was deeply, devoutly religious. Right. And that, you can't separate the two when, when I think you talk about Buckley, you can't. His, break those apart. His philosophy based in morality. True. And it was a it was a very black and white morality. Right. Now, I don't always agree with everything, his positions, and it's easy to do that looking back, especially at his stuff during the Vietnam War. I understand how he got to where he got, but in hindsight, it's easy to say, well, you were right. wrong. But at the time, he was willing to interview and debate people now that you could never get these two levels of opposites opposites together now. Yeah. He was very modern Lincoln Douglas. Yes. And he was playful. Oh, so charming, so witty. That, and that combination you just don't see very often of someone that's highly intelligent, highly informed, influential, and but was just as comfortable talking to Woody Allen as he was Noam Chomsky. Yes. 
And, you know, I was, you, we've all talked in the last few days. We've seriously gone down the rabbit hole of watching all these old episodes. So there's a quite a bit of William F. Buckley material on YouTube. And if you have Amazon Prime, there are, I don't know how many, but quite a few full episodes of Firing Line on Amazon Prime you can watch. And I've been doing that in addition to going back and finishing up the Best of Enemies documentary. And he wasn't always charming. He could be drawn offside. Mm -hmm. And the Best of Enemies documentary covers his interaction in the 68 convention coverage with Gore Vidal, the paragon of the left and of the intelligentsia left and writing and the counter, not counterculture, but certainly a counter view of culture at the time. He wasn't a hippie or anything. A counter view of the conservative idea. Yes. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it ultimately, I think, in a bastardized kind of way, gave birth to modern pundits. Absolutely. And, and I that's think, the way news is covered now. And yeah. I think... And that was the first time it had been covered that way. I, I agree 100%. And I, I actually lay that on the way that we are now. I lay that on the feet of Vidal because I think Vidal baited Buckley into the fight. And Buckley was not prepared for the theatrics of it. No, no. He, he was, was prepared for the... The debate. He, the it. debate. Well, the yeah. Intellectual I mean, the intellectual. The discourse. Yeah. The discourse, but he wasn't... He was... And his background wasn't such that the Dow's was as an artist who, you know, the theatrics was his stage. Yes. And that was part of his artistry and part of, you know, his expertise. And he had it, he had his scripted, he knew what his plan was. Right. He and, was prepared in that sense to where Buckley wasn't. Right. And, and Buck he got, he, he drew Buckley off sides. Eventually. Absolutely. But I think Vidal planted that seed of, this is how you do it. And now, like you said, modern punditry where it's two talking heads or four or however many the news stations crammed together in one screen. It's just a matter of trying to draw the other side offside. Yeah, the I, difference between I, now I, is that, that there's not, unlike it was with Vidal and Buckley, is that you're not dealing with individuals for the most part that are a cap that are capable of the type of intelligent debate that those two could have. Agreed. We've got the junior high squad where the, as those guys were. Right. The, but going we've right, got the Dunning-Kruger effect. Going back to back. at the 68 convention and Vidal drawing drawing him off sides. You know, you're, he did he did I won't say he well, he did baiting. He he was very prepared and knew what he was going to. He was but a master I, at it. But I don't think that it was I think his point in doing it was to he wanted to show America what he truly thought Buckley's true self was. He wanted to expose him. Right. And, I, I agree about that. And, and not only expose Buckley, but expose what he felt were the true deep-seated thoughts of conservatives like Buckley. Which, exactly. In in violence, in... Malice. Uh, yes. And I think, to me, that was the true intent of Vidal's... He wasn't doing it to be a smartass, I don't think. No, uh, I, uh, think I think Vidal was being Vidal, and he couldn't help himself. But I also think a lot of that he wasn't, was... He wasn't being a smartass for smartass sake. See, I think... He had he had a plan. I think his plan is, was to expose Buckley for what Buckley was. I think you're... Well, I think what he wanted to... He wanted to 
project Buckley was. Okay. Right. Well, think of it this way, too. <clears throat> Going on to that stage, which this was the first time this had been done, you know... First time that this had been done as political commentary, because Firing Line had existed for many years. So this was well, happening on a weekly basis with multiple people. This and, was just a different venue. And this was a, a bigger stage. Which Vidal knew more people would be watching yes. than watched Firing Line. Buckley should have known all this, too. Oh, Buckley shouldn't have. Buckley was naive Buckley, about it, for and, sure. And I think Buckley was overly naive, and I don't think he thought Vidal was going to... He wasn't prepared to walk into the lines den. I, I don't think he thought Buck, Vidal was going to play rough like this. I yeah. think he thought it was going to be like firing line. And there might be some 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 friction, but not going to be a... Right. And I think it's safe to say that to some extent, he certainly uh, underestimated or was naive about Vidal's intentions. Yes. But I think you also, to some extent, underestimated Vidal's... Uh, Intelligence. Well, no, n- not intelligence, no. but Vidal's capacity to engage in the type of fight that Buckley was used to, nah. right. like that that type of debate. I mean, when I when I see that clip, what pumps in my head, and when you is, and when you say the clip, do you mean the clip of the the actual the actual the moment, actual meltdown? The actual yeah, meltdown. They had a number of debates. Right. This the convention. actual meltdown to where when it's over. Buckley realizes he screwed up. Yes. And he, Buckley damn near came to blows. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Vidal calls Buckley a crypto-Nazi, and Buckley retorts back, queer, uh, out of sock you, and you're, you know, what was the exact quote, Ty? I think he said, um, Don't call you me queer, a, you call me a crypto-Nazi again, I'll sock you in your goddamn face, and it'll stay plastered. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk you in your goddamn face. They'll stay plastic. There's no doubt in my mind at all that Buckley lost the debate on multiple levels. Well, hold on. This is exactly when I see that meltdown. What the first thing that pops in my mind is in a few good men when Tom Cruise breaks Nicholson, Jepson, yeah, whatever his name was, Nathan's name, yeah, Nathan Jepson breaks him on the stand, and you have that moment of holy shit, he said it. We knew the truth. We just couldn't get you to say the truth, and he actually sat there and said it. To me, that's that's what that moment is. But I think for Vidal, he thought, or at least Vidal's followers thought, that what was succeeded in that moment was that this was the overturning of this iconoclast of oh, Buckley, yeah. where it was just it was really just Buckley having an emotional reaction yeah, in a negative way exactly. that he hadn't done before, like he had lost his cool, right. But it wasn't that Buckley had exposed himself to be a fraud, no, which I thought right. is what Vidal's – that's what his supporters – you know, they championed right. that as this right. – Buckley is well, finally – Because, because and, it would have been nothing out of the ordinary for Vidal to use that language or anything like that, but whereas – I mean, he was calling that, him a Nazi to yeah, begin with, so that, he was in the mud. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and, everything about that goes against the higher cast – to me, that Buckley represented. But see, that cast, Vidal was that same cast. And the other factor watching it is if you have two people that are going at one another and one of them is, and I, I've done, we talk about how I've pissed off people. When you're the one pissing somebody off and you're able to say they're cool and with a the little smirk on your face, mm-hmm. 
you are, and I don't use this term often, the goddamn devil. I mean, <laughs> that, and there is nothing more. You will. He was, he was I have finding a great joy that, that Buckley level of frustration from people <laughs> in my life. And you can just sit there and be there. And you are the devil in that moment because you're not, you have pushed somebody to have an emotional response. And well, you're taking joy in someone else's yes. suffering. It's, yes. It's, it's a, that's perfect right there. And, and Buckley might have suffered a little bit. Overall, he did not. He lost the debate, but I do believe he won the war. Well, well and, and I think he lost He lost that debate, certainly. Yes. And then it sort of retroactively influenced what had been done beforehand. But even leading up to that, I mean, it wasn't as if Vidal was wiping the floor with him in all the debates, the many debates they were having leading up to that. It was that initially... Buckley was underprepared. Yes. And then Buckley, realizing the foe he was dealing with, became prepared and was doing, you know, quite well. And then he was he was again unprepared for getting pulled down into the mud and reacting the way right. he did, and it sort of clouded the entire debate series. Yes. And and what and I I haven't watched the full all all the all the footage from both the Republican and the Democratic debate during that series. I haven't seen every bit of it, but I have watched a lot of Firing Line and watched uh, Buckley with other contemporaries like Mailer and Chomsky, where the debate between the two of those, whatever the respective parties are, it's much more productive mm-hmm. and it's much more thought exchange and like a true debate. Right. And it's kept above board. It's well, kept and above there board. Was... And, and from the get go, all, you know, and to your point, Vidal is trying to character assassinate using Buckley's own past statements within whatever context. Buckley would say they were out of context or whatever, but he was trying to use them. And he was not undermining what was being said on the convention floor. Yeah. He was trying to go after Buckley. And, see, it was, it well, was, I, and there's something else, you know, we, we talked about Buckley and being the standard bearer of the conservative idea and stuff. And two, with Vidal, he was a writer. What was the book that had come out about the transsexual? Myra Breckenridge. Yes. But and that you know and so and that was that offended Buckley. Yeah, no and that was so. I mean, to Buckley, that was everything that was wrong at that point in time. And I true, I, I do believe that it hurt. It hurt Buckley. And if you'll watch, did you say you have or haven't finished? I have. Yeah. The what I thought was interesting was it showed at the very end of the documentary, Best of Enemies, where his last firing line where Ted Koppel is interviewing him. Not Ted Koppel, that's Charlie Rose. No, Ted no, Koppel. Ted Koppel. Ted oh, Koppel the, oh at the, the Ted last, Koppel, yes. Yeah, yeah at the line. end when he comes out and says, I thought you... you yeah. yeah, and shows that clip from the 68 and, and from the 68 debate and Buckley's, like, and to me it was almost a look of... A sh- you know, a there's, shamed, there's, there's, a no, there's no doubt that I think Buckley that uh, that was Buckley's greatest regret. Yeah, yeah. how that went yeah. down and, because yeah. and that, I think that's a shame and his loss of self control. Yeah. Right. Now I don't think I think he won the overall war between him and Vidal. Yeah. Because he may have suffered a setback from that temporary at best. Well, and well, Buckley influenced more people than Vidal Buckley did. influenced more people. 
and his legacy goes on longer. Yes. Because Vidal eventually became irrelevant. Irrelevant. Well, that which is the worst thing that could have happened yeah. to Gore Vidal. Well, I think that's because partly because more than anything, Buckley was devoted to his philosophy above all else. Where I think above self-interest, even where I think Vidal. What you couldn't say that about Vidal. No, to where no. Vidal was devoted to his philosophy, but he was also devoted to self-interest to the extent that it was as important as his philosophy, and it was it's certainly just as big a part of his legacy. Yes, and that that's why that his ideas and his philosophy doesn't carry on to the extent that Buckley's does because it wasn't. That wasn't what he was devoted to as much. And, I mean, I think, like, when you look at going into those debates, I think Buckley is devoted to trying to win the debate for philosophy's sake to where, and, I mean, I'm not making Buckley out to be a saint or anything. I mean, he certainly had his fun with, you know, quips at people and that kind of thing. But he mm-hmm. was always about undermining a person's beliefs and philosophy more so than about hurting the person or maliciously the attacking attack. the, person, right. the person themselves. Yeah. Where I think Vidal went into that debate wanting twofold, to both win the debate oh, on yeah. ph- philosophical stances and also to harm and mm-hmm. personally punish Buckley. Yes. Yes. And yes. I think he did I, so I in that, that moment. Oh, I think he did so, but yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, I think even to the end of, his, end of their lives, I mean, the the thing that strikes me about both, because I mean I think Vidal and Chomsky, those guys are incredible thinkers, and there's no question. I mean there's no question about their level of intelligence. But I think the thing that strikes me that's different about them than Buckley that I didn't see is a personal bitterness that carries on, not just about the philosophical difference, but about the person. Mm-hmm. I mean the the things that Vidal said and Chomsky have said about Buckley. After his death, yeah, yeah, have been personally bitter, yeah, to where I never, I've never seen an interview with Buckley to where he spoke that way about either one of those guys, yeah. even when they were in the fight, right? Yeah. That he he tended to not ever make it personal, yeah. yeah and, and I mean, he was so good at debating, and he was so good at at uh, you know poking you and prodding mm-hmm. you and dismantling, you know, trying to dismantle your beliefs and your thoughts and everything that it could. It could come across sometimes as a personal attack, but I never got that feel. I never got a malicious feel from him. Right. To where, you know, somebody like Vidal who's saying about Buckley, you know, I hope he's enjoying hell with Hitler or whatever. Yeah, right. That there's a he personal animus. hell more lively. Yeah. Right. You know. I, I, if, you know. It got really personal. Yeah. I really encourage you to check out the Norman Mailer episodes of Firing Line. I've I think only there's seen a couple clips of those. I haven't and seen the full one. Obviously, Mailer and Buckley do not agree, but they are able to joke with one another as they disagree, and even are pointing out. Uh, Same with Ginsburg. Tra- yeah, with Ginsburg traps within what they're saying to one another. And they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, well, you're learning from what we've talked about before," mm-hmm. and they chuckle, and you know, and then they, right. you know, it, it's watching Mailer and uh, Buckley go. One on one, it's like watching fencing. Yeah, you know, it's very controlled, and nobody's trying to kill each other. Someone's trying to, both are trying to win. Yeah, but nobody's right. trying to do harm. It's a sophisticated. One thing I, f- I found interesting on that documentary, it talked about. It's interesting just the because we all have such. We just think of the news as 
nowadays is so bitter and all that. And, you know, back then you had three networks. You had ABC, NBC, CBS, which ABC was the bottom on the totem right. pole for news coverage. They came up with the idea for this debate, which they asked Buckley, you know, who's, you know, this is what we're wanting to do. Would you want to do this? He's like, yeah, that'd be a great idea. And they said, well, who, okay, who's the one person you don't want to sit down and debate with? He said, Gord Vidal. Right. Just because he did not like the guy. Right. right. And so, of course, they picked Gord Vidal because they know it's going to make for good TV. Yeah, and I think even ratings, more so, you know, I think more just accurate would be to say that he despised what Vidal espoused. He despised what he stood for. Exactly. Right. And I think Vidal, from all I've ever his interviews that I've seen, and he was a genius, a wonderful writer. Have you read? I've read. I've stuff? read some essays and some clips. I never have sat down and read a whole book. But he was a wordsmith. I mean, yeah. he. Oh, he's brilliant. I mean, I have a hard time. I mean, lots of times. Well, a lot. Most of the time, listening to Buckley, I'll have to pause it every couple of minutes just to process what in the hell. Sure. He just said, because it's words that you don't hear every right. day. Right. But and Buckley's was more of a, you know, it, he is, he's crafting words. You know, he's he's delving deep for the perfect word that's going to, mm-hmm. you know. and but, He wasn't but, just using words for words. No, today. but Vidal is creating. He wasn't Dennis Miller. Right. right. Vidal's creating <laughs> Vidal's creating a narrative. He did it in the in those debates cuz he's an artist. Talked about. It. He's scripted. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote Ben-Hur. He's not credited, yeah. but he wrote it. You know, he is he wrote plays, he wrote novels. He is attuned to creating a narrative. Right. And but at the same time, everything I've ever gathered about him, he was a really nasty dude yeah well, i mean you know he, he was out for himself for he sure. was he was he was one of those people that i think you might be always oh, charming when you first met him yeah but then the snake is going to bite exactly him. Gonna, what, what he struck me as too and i think that this played out perfectly in those debates with buckley as i he struck me as a very insecure person who you know the best you've heard the phrase like the best defense is a good offense right mm-hmm. and i think he projected a lot of those things onto Buckley that he wanted to destroy and expose so that he would not be destroyed and exposed mm-hmm. kind of I think he went into that not with the idea that we're going to fence but that I'm going to have to destroy him as to not be destroyed right like his mindset I mean I, of course I don't know I mean, right I this is all conjecture but I think no. his mindset was so different from Buckley's and I think that's that's just a reflection of how those two are very different people. Yeah. Now, at that time, he was an open homosexual, correct? Well, I think technically he never was a homosexual. Oh, really? I don't think he ever admitted to being homosexual. I don't think he ever said no. Right. Yeah, I don't know about He had the same partner for a long yeah, time, I mean, but I don't so know how thinking, open. So he's been thinking, man, in 1968, to be on national television as a open homosexual, that would be groundbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think the people that knew who he was understood that that's what it was. Because I think he wrote in like his books in like 55 was pretty much, you know. I think it was. It understood. had homosexual characters and, you know, that was completely unheard of. Yeah. But I, think I don't it was earlier think, than that, actually. I think was it was 49 or, or something yeah. like that. But I think when uh, Buckley called him a queer, I had the meltdown. I don't think that shocked anybody except maybe your great-grandmother. Right. Watching. Aunt Thelma. Right. But I think anybody that knew Vidal understood that's what Vidal... What's interesting, and I'm going to ask my family this at our next big family Longmire 
extended family gatherings. Yellow dog. At, at that point in time, I mean, because they're, I mean, well, like we said, I mean, very Democrat have been forever, but I consider it kind of that old, I mean, there's some old school Democrat mixed with them. I mean, my dad has some pretty liberal thinking on some stuff, and then some things not. I'm going to say, I've heard some very non-liberal right. things come out of his the, it's, it's funny, the older he's gotten, the more liberal it's gotten, which yeah. is kind of strange. Yeah. Normal. But I want to ask them, my you know, aunts and uncles, at that point in time, what was the general Democrat's thought of Gore Vidal? I mean, because he did not represent no, no. anything that they... No, he was not. Parti- I mean, he was not a Southern Democrat, right. and, you know. And you know, no, he the, was the Southern Democrat at the time was a totally different breed right. than what right. would be now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't have much time for any Northeast liberal. No, no. no. But I've just, I, I would love the, you know, I guess my grandpa would be, he'd be ninety nine this year. I would love to, if he was still alive, to get his take on Gore Vidal. Right. You know? It's it struck me too that it's. I mean, it couldn't be further from the way it is today, the level of intellectual political discourse that was going on, on firing line, on these debates, you know, in the 68 election versus the punditry that we have today Mm. to where it's, I mean... Well, it's I think much more idiocracy so I, and than I it can't, is sophisticated I, That's debate. what I was going to ask y'all. Are there any shows, are there any programs, I'm going to get real old, are there any television programs these <laughs> <Stories>. days <laughs> that are of that level? Does, does PBS have anything? I, they might have, I don't think they have something that, like that. I mean, they still have a... I mean, to where people actually... Listen to one another. Right. Charlie talk. Rose is still going. Charlie, yeah, Charlie, Charlie Rose. Show. But it's yeah. more of an but, interview. Yeah. But I mean, I think that, I mean... Because, I, I mean, I haven't come across anything. I, I don't have PPS since we cut the cable, so I don't know if there's anything out there. I mean, it seems like the McLaughlin group was really the last vestige of, of that, and that, you know, even that had kind of morphed into a little bit more of sensationalistic TV than yeah, it started and, out and to be. It, it, even in the mid-'80s, it had turned into sort of an echo chamber anyway. Right. So, you know, it, it was really geared more, as the, for the most part, left, I mean, right of center. Yeah. There might be somebody that was a little bit... Well, and what's... And to me, some of the best interviews in, in today's world of different political ideas, it comes from a comedic point. Like, to me, John Stewart was pretty good in... I mean, but of course, he had his jabs. He got... Because it's, yeah. it's, it's comedy, so he's got to get yeah. his jabs in. But to me, he was a Pretty damn good interviewer to be a comedian. Yes. He's definitely an intelligent guy. He's intelligent yeah. and he's quick on his feet. And to some degree, every once in a while, Bill Maher can do a good interview without being too much of a condescending asshole. But, uh, but all these guys can't handle or they can't carry the intellectual piece. No. They no. can talk it. They can talk John Stewart it. can for a little bit. Very short. And I, mean, John's, I think John Stewart is far and away more informed than someone like Bill Maher. Oh, yeah. Yes. As yeah. far as, you know, some sort of historical perspective and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. But it yeah, doesn't that, have to do with deal with weed. Right. Maher's not really. Right. That, I mean, I think <laughs> both of them are really funny yeah. in their own way. But yeah. Yeah, there's just not that 
I mean, that just doesn't exist anymore on on mainstream TV, definitely. Yeah. And so, you know, we talked about this before, how the 24-7 news channels have diluted the quality of the news. Ugh, I can't even watch this shit anymore. Well, no, there's I so many even. options now, just, too. Everything is so instant gratification. And, and, it has to, and because you've got 24 hours to fill, they just beat the horse till it's dead. But now they want pundits. And the people they get on to talk, I'm like, Jack Wagon news host Memphis, Tennessee or something. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are not anybody great thinkers. These don't. Right. It's just somebody they can get to go put on a tie and go stand in front of some shitty skyline. Or and, if you're Fox News, hot chicks. Well, I, at least that's better. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd rather look Fox at Fox News does and, have the market on that. that. God bless them. I mean, you know. But speaking of that, did y'all see the argument that Megyn Kelly and Newt Gingrich got into? I saw part of it. I <laughs> heard it all. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. She's feisty. That, that, that got pretty heated. She was um, pretty easy on the eyes, too. Yeah, I would, yeah she's yeah. an attractive lady. And intelligent. And so she's, well she's spoken. Not, she's not just a, uh, Pair know, of legs a and hot skirt. chick talking head. I mean, I think she's intelligent. What's she talking? What? <laughs> One of the things that has struck me, so, you know, I mentioned that Buckley on firing line, he would both, you know, he would just as easily have Barry Goldwater on and Ronald Reagan on and talk about mm-hmm. agreement. But he had Muhammad Ali. Yeah, he was not scared to uh, to debate. Yeah. He was not scared to put his ideas on the table. You put your ideas on the table and let's talk about them. Right. He wanted to discuss in culture. Yes. Yeah. And he was affable enough. And, you know, intelligent enough and sociable enough and witty enough to be totally comfortable in a setting, you know, like I said, talking to Chomsky or talking to the cast from Laugh-In. I've got to find, because I've never seen, except in that documentary, that Laugh-In footage. I I want to find that full thing, because he sits down there and they're all throwing barbs at him. And from what we saw in the documentary, he's just knocking them back yeah. out of the park. So quick-witted. And I mean, char- just a brilliant mind. Yeah. So really quick. And, but and, also funny. And charming. And that's, charming. That's one of the things. Is, and his eyes. And his eyes. And his, you know, yeah. his mannerisms. He was definitely. And that voice, man. What? Well, it's that, that transatlantic. Yeah. That we've talked which, about before. Which is amazing. That's got to be one of the last. He's got to be one of the last holdovers. Yes, I would of say the transatlantic the last, dialect. He's the last of it. Yeah, and you know we talked about when we were talking off air in that documentary. His brother, mm-hmm. who is a dead ringer for oh, him. Oh man, and sounds just like you. he had a, a. He established a school for public speaking. Really? That was what he did, and you know wrote several books and things. So can you imagine the two? I of think I'm going to take some transatlantic voice lessons. I think your listening public would be greatly disappointed if that happened. <laughs> I think that needs to go in the montage. Now, Ty and I would be greatly thrilled if such a thing did oh happen. God. If that was my everyday If speech. we showed up and all of a sudden you were... <laughs> well, I say, huh? A certain way. Would you like some iced tea? <laughs> that would be... You, first of all, your wife would divorce you because you yeah. think you're possessed. Actually, she might be happier because he might speak faster without as many pauses. Right. You want to tell you what, she, what I discovered this week that she does when she listens to our podcast? Speeds it up. She puts it on two. Speeds it up to two. And I'm like, whoa, you're missing all the good. She's like, you talk too slow. I, I, and, and I that, don't have time. 
That is after I Dude. go through and take out. You ain't your got politics. time to mess with your bullshit. She's like, I, I, I have to listen to. It. She's like, listen to. I was like, I don't understand. It's like listening to rap music. I don't. Kids it's, these it's days. It's too fast. I don't understand it. My brain has to have time to process that stuff. You know, to pull back the curtain, it takes me about three to four hours to go through, edit the pauses and our uhs and my so's and your and does. And I'm just going to turn one out and let her let her suffer. Just let it rip. We're not radio professionals. We are not. You know, and when we were meeting uh, up at Hutchins, there was some talk about cross and pollination, cross pollination. And, you know, I'm open to the idea. I like the idea. But my fear is one of us would get out there and the other podcast would not edit out all of our bullshit pauses. Uh-huh. Then we would look. There's no way they talk just in straight, unpaused. <laughs> Art imitating life there. Well, I, I, I think part of it is because I spend the time editing, I notice it a lot. And I think Mrs. Longmire notices it because she's put up with you for... Too long. Yeah. What, 15, what is it, 15 years? 15 yeah. years, so pretty much. So if I had to listen to your pauses every day for 15 years... I would try to put I'm a, you on time. I'm a thoughtful too. speaker. If I'd have just had that date, I'm we might cho- not be here right now. I know it. I'm choosing my words correctly. Could you imagine if he had had that date? What was that? Your senior year, or junior year? I don't. I probably think, senior. I think she ended up settling for Johnny Cool. That date. I oh, guess we'll edit, edit that out. That name. Uh, he just doesn't yeah. care. He's like, she would have been unimpressed. You got to edit I mean, my pauses. Fuck you. Go edit this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now he's just rubbing it in. Next thing uh, he's going to talk about. Yeah, come on, man. Nobody would believe that. Couldn't would've have never, happened. Would have never had a shot. Anyway, back to Buckley. Back, to, back Buckley. to Buckley. So, you know, Buckley totally flips out, breaks down on TV, instantly, according to the documentary and the accounts, regrets it. Obviously, we all took it that he regretted it uh, in the end. Now, one thing. But he did make jokes about it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. In, in appearances shortly after, he would pop it off. He did it in the Chomsky, didn't he? He did it in the Chomsky. I mean, I've seen him do it several times when he was... Well, one of the times they showed on the documentary when he was being invited to speak. Yes. And the guy oh, yeah, you know, gave yeah, him a yeah, big yeah. intro and he yeah. made a joke about it. But, yeah. but that was the thing about, uh, I think, unlike Vidal, that Buckley would be self-deprecating yeah. at times. Yes. Vidal had no capacity for that. No. 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 Or Chomsky. No, Chomsky's no. not a uh, ma- definitely not him. Mailer, Mailer did right, and you know, and Ginsburg. You know, I'm looking at yeah. all these people that we watched. They just didn't take watched. themselves Man, so seriously. I watched one with Kerouac. That's sad. sad. Yeah, yeah. Really. So, so you know, uh, the beat poets came before the hippies, and Allen Ginsberg, of course, wrote Hal and was probably the greatest intellectual of the beat poet of the you know the beat right. Yeah. And but Kerouac to me, and I love Kerouac. I mean, I I know that's real cliche, but and not just Dharma bum, not just uh, on the road, but Dharma bums and stuff like that. I, it always spoke to me, you mm-hmm. know. So we had that kind of kindred that, spirit, that kindred yeah. spirit, that idea, even though in reality I was not that. But when talk about a master of the narrative, yes, I mean. But by the time he appears on, uh, and Ginsburg had already been on Firing Line before. And Kerouac went on, and Kerouac, this is at the end of Kerouac. I mean, he's a drunk at this point, sadly. He's shit-faced on air. Yeah. They get some spare-ass hippie, yeah. and then the most uptight dude ever. Yeah. Whoa. And instead of Kerouac being there to talk to Buckley, 
which I think would have been okay. It still would have been wheels off as drunk as Kerouac was, but it turned into I don't I don't even know how you would describe it. it it's just, just a, bad. It's just well, a, I never a really, drunk guy trying to he talk. He trying I mean, to be just, funny at times. Yeah. And seems so bitter. And, and you know, yeah. with Buckley's credit, he does not. No, he doesn't. Buckley was gracious. He was very, you know, he was not trying to make a fool of Kerouac. Mm-mm. I think he, you know, pretty much. I saw that episode completely differently, too, after having watched Ginsburg's yes. discussion on it. Um, I never thought about the, that idea of it being, whether intended or not, sort of a slap in the face of Kerouac to be on that kind, you know, to yeah. be paneled yeah. with Instead those of as being, equals, you yeah. know, kind of situation. Um it was touching so to hear Ginsburg Gin- talk about Kerouac. Yeah, too. Ginsburg. There's no doubt that he had a real he, strong he, affinity. He for loved him. him as a friend. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's so. Weird. In one of the episodes, Ginsburg talks about the, the episode. episode. Yeah. With, well, there's yeah. an interview with Ginsburg um, that's eight or ten minutes long, where he talks about the way that episode went down and gives you some background into leading up to that and what was going on. I hadn't seen that. Yeah, it, it's really informative about the episode and gives you a little bit of insight into what, a little more why things went the way that they went. One um, of, and some insight into Ginsburg, too, just as far as, as he comes across as a you know a very thoughtful, loving character and that kind of thing. He certainly has that kind of love for Kerouac. And speaking of love, and I don't know if y'all have noticed, if y'all have watched enough, especially when it's somebody that absolutely is polar, when Buckley does his, especially, I think it's mostly, I noticed it mostly in the 60s, when he does production of the guest, even if he is polar opposite, he does the most glowing, yes. although... You know, little smart Alex, has some you know, little, comments but very, very positive, gracious, very gracious, three, four minute introduction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's almost like a gracious host saying, come on in. Right. And, and introducing you to the. Like, I love his intros of uh, of Hitchens. Yes. Yeah. You know, those were all, those were good. Which to somebody, especially in those early ones, for somebody like Hitchens, at the I age how young he was, yeah, young. at the Very age he is so. at, and at the the um the point in his career that he's at, and everything. I mean, can you imagine the feeling that must have given him to be? Because oh, yeah. you know he had to be incredibly anxious about being in that situation, and you talk about put you at ease. I mean, yeah. that had to be – that was a very gracious thing for Buckley to do for someone like that yeah. early on when – I mean, he he didn't have to treat him as an equal no. or to be as gracious to him as he was and glowing as he was about someone who obviously had an ideology that was in contrast to his in a lot of ways. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I thought that, yeah, like you said, he was he was always gracious in that way, even when he was, you know – being smarmy and prodding and would throw some of that in just to make it clear that these are some things I right. don't agree with. He never got down in the mud or was personal in his attacks with somebody. Now, I did notice, and I don't remember which episode I was watching, that you know how Vidal attacked, had his researchers go and find, you know, cherry pick some stuff to throw back in his face, into Buckley's face. I did catch a moment where Buckley basically did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. To it may have been maybe it was Chomsky. It was one was in it? one of the early Chomsky that he pulled the same, and I'm pretty sure about '66 or so. Yeah, that he did the same, not not to the same level of right. Yeah, the one where uh, Vidal did it, it was in quoting uh, Buckley wanting to nuke yeah. Vietnam. Yeah, 
No, no. Which had gotten discussed. That wasn't just right. like a an he out of quoted it from the February such and such edition of uh, National, National Review. Review. Well, I think more than anything, what threw Buckley off in that too was that he wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, he didn't exactly. Like I said earlier, I, he I don't think he realized he was walking into the lines den. No, he, well, and I he don't think he had had a debate. He wasn't. He wasn't. I don't. He was not. Expecting to walk into battle. Right, and he wasn't used to someone use, trying to use his own quotes against him. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't, you know, that wasn't commonplace in the debates he had had previously. You know, I'd like to see you know, if we could, like... Get in a time machine? Just make a machine and, you know, and put Bologna. John Hannity on with William Buckley. Oh, I, Or I, Bill O'Reilly on there with Buckley and just the... Yeah, I mean, it's just such a contrast in delivery and right. t- style, I guess. The Buckley has style, you yes. know. Even if, you know, like I said, I mean, not I... He was charming, like we said, where there's there's not many I didn't, charming... I didn't agree with a lot of his pundits out there. No, on either side, no no matter no. what. And and it's turned into... Except for Donna Brazil. <laughs> um, I'm just going to take another drink of Bullet. I, I, you know what? I may <laughs> take a drink of Bullet after that. One of the, one of the quotes that maybe Carvel. I don't remember. The, <laughs> right. Yeah, very charming. Very well. I mean, I think. Well, I, I think yeah, Carvel has a charm he and does, more he akin does, he to does. Buckley than than most com. I mean, I think he's more of a throwback than most of the people on that. I've got a funny yes. Carville story. Because Carvel will attack. Carvel will attack, but he'll also give you a wink and a smile. Yeah, yeah. be charmed. Yeah, yeah. In the Early 80s, one of my family members who was involved in, in politics at the state level, he, uh, at the state level, he was working on a, <laughs> on a camp, he was working on a campaign, working on a campaign, and him and my dad were at this fundraiser, and dad said there was, the, they were down this nice ass ranch. Was your dad wearing overalls? Outside of Austin. <laughs> was he wearing a jacket? No, he had his elbow patches. He had his, was he probably wearing, that, and his nicest snakeskin boots. <laughs> And uh, anyway, they're at this nice fundraiser, and he said, uh, "He said, man, I hear this just loud. This is probably about '82. Just this loud, obnoxious voice involved, and just this guy stealing the show, you know, just elbowing and you know, him hawing and all that." He said, uh, "He asked my uncle who that was. And he's like, oh, it's some coon ass that's getting well, into the." Well, they're winner of Louisiana. <laughs> Some <laughs> Goodbye, get, Nola. He's doubling getting down. In, uh, anyway, it was James Carville. Yeah, we got it. And uh, <laughs> they... Uh, the coon ass of James Carville. That's the moral of the story. Yeah, he, he, him, him and my uncle did I not really like I really thought you other. were about to say Tip O'Neill. <laughs> they, they worked on opposing sides with each other, and even at, at an early age, Carville was... He went for blood. Oh, yeah. Oh. He was... Yeah, he. There's no holes barred. He cut my uncle pretty good a couple of times. I love the Dennis Miller joke about Carvel looking like a muppet that's been washed in hot. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I like Carvel though. I, I mean, I too. find him entertaining. He must be in really, really poor health because he, you know, he hadn't been in any of this campaign cycle. You don't see yeah, him anywhere. That's true. You don't see him anywhere. He's a throwback. Or Mary Magdalene. He's a throwback to the old school. Yeah, I've gotten where I, I watch so little. Yeah. Oh, it's most of it's well, unwatchable. I mean, now. I get clips is what I see off Twitter. You know, I, yeah. mean, I don't. Careful. You know. You get what? Clips. Clips on Twitter? Why haven't I clips. been? Why haven't I been? Clips. Uh, you haven't got to that part of Twitter been, yet? Been included in the, I only see it's those on, the, on, B, tum- it's on still, the B side of Tumblr. Manintheboat.com. Right. B side of Twitter. 
I can't find that man in the boat. Well, <laughs> anybody else got any more Buckley uh, anecdotes? Buckley would not have appreciated where the end of this. I'm pretty sure Buckley would not to. have appreciated 99% of our podcasts. Nah, probably not. But I, I like, bet what year did he die? I don't remember. It's I, only been a few years ago. Did he make ago. it to 2000? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, did yeah. He? I was going to say like 2012, 2008. Eight. How old was he? He was 82. Maybe, maybe Vidal 82. was 2012. Somebody passed away in 2012. Vidal was just in the last couple of years, I'm pretty sure. Well, that would have been, Let's look like, up Gore Vidal here. Y'all vamp while I'm... Two or three years, I do believe. What you think about those chewy sweet tarts? Hey, not bad. Not bad at all. They go well with whiskey and pizza. 2012. Hey, look at there. No. Well, I'm afraid that our uh, this episode may be the least interesting episode to anybody except the three of us. Oh, not at all. <clears throat> all our learned listeners. Well, you, we've, we've got a huge Gore Vidal constituency out there. I don't think we've been very kind to Gore Vidal. I have. Well, that goes without saying. I, I fully appreciate Gore Vidal. Right. I just saw, drew a very... Start He's nobody I would want to hang out with. I, I tell you what. He's nobody I'd want to hang out with. I would punch Gore Vidal in the face for Buckley if he asked me to. <laughs> I think Vidal was a brilliant thinker and a wonderful artist. How about but that? But not yeah. someone you would want to spend more than five minutes at a cocktail party with. I love the fact that he had the pictures of him and Buckley over his toilet. Yeah, yeah, that was a little. I mean, not just the Buckley picture, but just in general. Like, those are the only pictures hanging in his house he had in the bathroom. Yeah, I've got one of me over my toilet in an ascot, and that's all. That's all. That's the only picture in my whole house. Tasteful, tasteful, tastefully done in a centaur. The most tasteful (laughs) of dick pics. Sepia. Yes. So, have I ever told you about how? And this is our this is our normal moment in our podcast. This episode at my mother in law's house. In the uh, little guest bathroom there. Uh, the tulip painting? No. <laughs> That's at my house. Uh, above the toilet on the wall, there's a small round mirror just right above the tank. That's weird. It's weird. But what's even more weird, you can tell a woman put it there because when a guy stands there to pee, you see your dong. Wow. And, you know, it's just the weirdest damn thing. There's, yeah. you know, not that I haven't seen it before, but. Generally not. It's not an angle you're it's, generally. Well, it's an angle, but not while it's peeing, you know. <laughs> it. <laughs> not while Jimmy's peeing. It no, his, constitution. his name is Monte Block. Okay, thank you, sir. I'll oh. Use his proper name. Okay. <laughs> but, uh. He's yeah. from the Carolinas. Yeah. That's just a weird. Raleigh. Spot right there. It's almost as weird as when you go to some uh, hotel and. If you're by yourself, you know you don't close. Have the you ever checked that door. mirror for a camera? That one, no. You might want. But to. I'll ask her about it. Yeah. Tomorrow might. on her birthday, I'll say, "Hey, is there a camera for dicks behind that? Uh, yeah. That mirror's up two-way mirror. Yeah. Might check that. She might have made a visit to the spy shop. Right. Speaking of spy shops, this may be the subject of a whole another episode that would is geared towards us alone. Um, Gay Talese. I don't know if it actually got published. The Boyer Motel. That he was going to publish. Oh. Have you read about that? I think I sent it to y'all. Yeah. Where? Oh, uh, Arizona yeah, or yeah, yeah. Uh, Colorado. Colorado. So Gay Talese was a groundbreaking author along the lines of Vidal, writing about se- human sexuality in the 70s with The Neighbor's Wife and a couple of other books. But he started a correspondence where this voyeur that owned a tiny little motel had rigged up 
crawl spaces where he could look through the vents, and he would just hang up, the, hang out, you know, getting his jollies, I guess, looking at the people screwing in his hotel and his motel and writing copious notes and documenting all what they did and stuff. And he kept sending this stuff to Gay Talese, and then, but he didn't want it to be published until he was dead or something. But eventually, Talese now has published it. But now there's questions about the timeline because the guy talks about how he witnessed a murder, right? All this stuff, and it doesn't jive with everything. Yeah. So now Talese is backing away, but it's it's almost a, another icon that's kind of being torn down. You did all this work, groundbreaking in the 70s. And now in your age, this is what you got. This is what you got, yeah. and it may be a. But I haven't, I haven't actually seen the book. It's I read Enigma the, within an Enigma. Seems like a bad tease. Well, bad tea titties. All right. Well, sorry, sorry, William F. This is what <laughs> this is what your legacy is. <laughs> Stay hard, Willie. Stay hard, Willie. Well, uh, we welcome your feedback on what your favorite episode of Firing Line is. <laughs> <laughs> The emails are rolling in as we speak. Roll the tally, Jerry. Uh, That's what we need. So we've had... Roll the number, Ed. We're going to have a Jerry Lewis telethon episode, too. Oh, God. Man. Oh. I can do a whole Jerry Lewis episode. I, you know. I love Jerry Lewis. Hey, and the Jerry Lewis telethons. I mean, what was more 70s and 80s than that? Yeah, Man. that was great stuff. Jerry's a little Jerry's. bourbon in the glass. I tear up. When I watch, and I watch it from time to time. Thank the, God for kids. No, the reuni- little house on the prairie. No, the reuniting of Dean and Jerry oh. when Frank Sinatra comes oh, out yeah. there and he gets Dean to come out and they're all crying and stuff. That yeah, is great. It gets me right there, man. I, I would love to. Old blue you, eyes himself. You talk about being able to go back in time and see certain things, man. A top one for me would have been to see Grand the Rat Grand. Pack in Vegas. At its peak. Oh, man. Get yeah. That would have been. Get that Joey Bishop fix. I can't get enough Joey Bishop. Maybe. Hey, while we're there, maybe we can uh, see Shecky Green. Murders. We need to see some Shecky Green. Maybe at the Flamingo? When I used to work out in Palm Springs, there was a little diner we would stop by that had all pictures, you know. And Palm Springs. Shecky Green. I'll explain it to you later. And they had an autographed Shecky Green 8x10 up by the register. Glossy. Glossy. Nice. Shecky Green was like a Catskill comic that did Vegas and stuff. Okay. He, he has a bit part in History of the World Part 1. Okay. <laughs> if you want me to point that out to Man. you one of these days. Sorry. Did you bullshit today? Did you try to bullshit, bullshit. today? <laughs> All right. Well, let us know what your favorite uh, Gore Vidal novel is, if you're a lefty like uh, Heavy. Or what's your favorite... Uh, William F. Buckley essay or firing on episode if you're a righty like Gustav. And you can email us at canyouhearmepod at gmail.com. And, of course, find us on Twitter. And we will talk to you later. Adios. Bye-bye. And I'm for ostracizing people who egg on other people to shoot American Marines and American soldiers. As I know you don't as care. As far as I don't feel any sense of identification. Pro-crypto-Nazi uh, I can think of is yourself. Uh, Failing that. That's I would only that's say that we names. can't have... Now listen, you the right yeah. stop calling me a crypto-Nazi. Let's, let's stop calling names. I'll you in your goddamn face. And you'll stay plastered. The network nearly shat. And world-class championship wrestling. I'm Bill Mercer with Jay Saldy. Good night from Dallas, Texas.